Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. And it is a beautiful day. It's hot. Oh, come on. Okay, it's... Come on. It's it's going to be like 31 Celsius, which I don't even know what that is in Fahrenheit. Here's my rule. 90-something. Here's my rule. In May. In Canada. No. No. Here's my rule. You can complain about winter... Or, you can complain about summer. It's 86 degrees. 31 is 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, okay. All of our listeners in Arkansas right now are going, shut up, Marshall. (laughs) You can complain about the summer or you can complain about the winter, but if you're complaining about both, the problem's not the weather. (laughs) There's a Timism for you. There you go. Yeah, I don't. I love the in-between stuff. I'm a <laughs> the in-between stuff. The greatest fa- there are two great fallacies in Western culture, and these fallacies are maybe this is maybe this is its own podcast. That's right. <laughs> these two fallacies are indoctrinated into our children at the earliest of ages. Before language is really a thing, we start indoctrinating them on two great fallacies. One of them is transitional seasons. It's winter, and then it's summer, and there's like a day when it's not one or the other. Am I wrong? It feels that way sometimes, yeah. Okay, but the (laughs) idea that there are four evenly divided seasons is a fallacy. (laughs) Yet every children's book... Right. Presents them as if they were a thing. The other great fallacy is kids falling asleep while you're reading them the bedtime story. Mm, That's true. It's this expectation put on parents from every book they've ever read about parents reading books to children. Yeah, they don't fall asleep when you're reading to them. Never. (laughs) You finish the book and it's never like, oh, they fell asleep. They don't even know how it ends. No. No. Caleb's just like, I think it's time to wrestle now, <laughs> right? It's hours after you finish that book before they finally go to sleep. Those things society needs to correct. Okay. Well, you hear, heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it's just like opinion talk radio. You can say you're right again, Tim. <laughs> right again, Tim. All right. Well. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, why must the Redeemer be truly human mm. Mm. we talk i think we do that after every question we always do the, mm. i don't even know what it means <laughs> <laughs> i think it like i feel like the mm is like mm, that's significant or mm, that's something deserving of but some if we attention get, but if we give every one of them an mm, <laughs> then it becomes meaningless right it's like <laughs> if everyone is special then no one is special Right. If everyone is special, then whatever you're calling special is now common because everyone has it. And so if all of them get the mm, then none of them are special. I guess. It's kind of like when you're driving down the road and you hear a great song. And you're like, I'm going to turn up the radio. You, you at some point have to turn it down for a song. You got to vote it down so that you can give that elevated status mm. of turning up the radio <laughs> to the next good song. You can't just leave it there. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Wow. This is this is rant 
Okay. City. This is the rant podcast. You do the thing. I do this thing. I re- and I recognize that I do it. Like when you're praying in a group, and someone else is praying, and they say something that just like touches you is really meaningful. I give the mm all the time. Yeah. It's just like I don't know what it is. Yeah. Just it's like, pseudo charismaticism. Mm. It's like hit hit me. It hit me. To <laughs> <laughs> just hits me a different way. I don't know. We have a we have a friend here who's uh, was a pastor for a long time at uh, Pentecostal Church. Mm. And I've had Charlie apologize before for praying over me while I was praying. It's because okay. he gets excited <laughs> and he starts talking too. And he was just like, he realized that he, how much that he just sort of like took over. Yeah. And he was like, sorry about that. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. No, I'm I'm for it too. Like dropping the amens and stuff like that yeah. while other people are praying. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's a group effort. So I remember one time you asked me why the Redeemer needed to be truly human. I did. I didn't get around to answering a, a your question. While, a while back. <laughs> or why is that, why is it significant? I yeah, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this last week. That hasn't, or isn't universally the understanding, because people feel like to do such a thing, there's no way he could be human. Right. Right? And so you have Gnosticism, right, that has the whole, like, mirage. Yeah. Was he really there? He was just a ghost. I mean, he bled, but did he really? Yeah. What if everything you thought you knew? (laughs) Which is the favorite phrase of our generation. What if everything you thought you knew about this was wrong? Yeah. Insert whatever that was. Yeah. Essentially, that's just just modern education. It's just like everything we used to teach on this is 100% wrong. It's generational arrogance. It is, yeah. What if we're the only generation to ever think about this thing? (laughs) So true. Or what if you just now started thinking about it and didn't (laughs) realize that for thousands of years people have been having this conversation? Right. Yeah, no, this this whole like mirage thing is one of the one of the earliest heresies. And the the apostles actually the apostle John in particular comes like against this pretty hard. Yeah. In his epistles, like in his letters. Uh, he says that uh, by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And then in second John, he says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Right. And isn't it in Luke where he comes back after the resurrection and they're looking at him and they're like, I don't know what to do with this. And he's like, give me something to eat. Yeah. And he eats it just so that they realize you know, yeah, physical the, body the fish is gone. Yeah, physical body. And at that point, that that stirs their heart, right? Like that is a confidence builder for them. Yeah. Um, Thomas wasn't with them at that point. Oh, Thomas. And so he says, "I need to see his body, um, and touch it, even right to to just verify." And Jesus shows up, and he's like, "I don't need to touch anything. I believe." Yeah, my Lord and my God. Mm-hmm. That's how he responds. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this, I mean, we've already kind of talked about in, like, already this week and last week about kind of the alternative answers. So, the, the Redeemer must be truly human, right? Well, yeah, I I think so far what we've said is he is truly human. Right. I don't think we've talked about why that needs to be the case. Right. Why couldn't God and just, why couldn't a Gnostic God come and be our Redeemer? Mm -hmm. Why does he need to be human? That's the question. That is the question. Not was he. Well, what's the answer? But why does it matter? Well, <laughs> let me look at my cheat sheet here. 
It says that in human nature, he might, on our behalf, perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin, and also that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like that? Mm. It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. So I think there's here's the potential a potential issue for those of us who rightly argue hard for the divinity of Christ against some of the heretical teachings. Okay. Sometimes we can kind of miss or overlook the significance of his humanity. Right. As we do that, right? Mm-hmm. But the the Bible is clear that the the word of God became flesh. Right? The son of God had and still has a human body. Right. Which is when you actually stop to think about it is crazy. Like not crazy, but like amazing. Yeah, and, and I think I think because it's so amazing, it, it it can develop its own problems with us. Sure. Right? So for instance, um because he is now in physical form, there brings with it this sort of notion of beginnings. Mm. Right? Because everything in our physical world begins. And and so to see Christ as one who has always been but born can open the door for the concept of Jesus the created mm. instead of Jesus the eternally outside the realms of our quantum world. Yeah. The quantum mechanics that would rule this world outside of a space-time continuum, right? Uh, when he enters into that, all of a sudden we want to associate with him, although we're free to give God the Father a pass, we want to associate with Jesus' beginnings. Right. Yeah. And so to make sure that we don't fall into that trap, we have to understand, as we learned last week, the Redeemer is both fully human and fully God. Not Next. a mix of the two. Not, right. you know, not, not a little bit of this and a little bit of that mixed up in a pot, but fully God, fully man. And his deity is next week's question. Yeah, so we don't have to get too deep into um, it, but if we talk about his... But what's the purpose in putting on flesh? Well, there's multiple purposes. Well, give me one, for example. Okay, so let's, why don't we, if we look at the answer, um, that in his human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law. So, the law given by God to humanity as the means by which they were supposed to glorify God, the way that they were supposed to conduct their lives perfectly. Um, obviously, they failed in that, right? And that failure stemmed from the first Adam, right? The sin nature, because of this inherited sin nature that we talked about a number of weeks ago, they were entirely incapable of doing that. But Christ, because he, yes, he is human, but he is also the word of God, was able to perfectly obey the whole law on our behalf. Just to build some mood around what you're saying, and like in my head, there was background music, the whole, he became sin, dun, dun. who knew no sin, yeah. that we might become his righteousness. Mm-hmm. 
and grooving. Solid out. Christology right there. It is actually, yeah. Um, scriptural. Yeah, and so, so in a sense, it was o- only in becoming human would him fulfilling the law have any real significance whatsoever, right? I right. mean, the, the law was designed for humanity. Right. And so in order for the keeping of the law to be effective in any way, shape, or form, the one keeping it would have to be human. And not even just keeping it in mysterious, magical ways. No, like in literal, Scripture, ways. prayer, calling on the Holy Spirit for strength and guidance. Mm. Yeah. As I've said it a number of times, not because I came up with the idea, but because I heard Pastor Kemp C. Holden, Harvest Time Tabernacle, say one time, which of those do you not have access to? Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) 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 That's good. Um, Okay, so so he was able to perfectly obey the law as a human being, um, which is good news for us because we understand that he perfectly obeys the law on our behalf. Right. His righteousness is imputed to us. Imputate. Explain to us imputation. So, oh man, I hope I don't get this wrong. You always drop these <laughs> on me. You're just laughing. Okay, so the well, so, you're gonna use so the, the word. righteousness, you tell the, the righteousness of Christ as our federal head. So in Adam, when Adam sinned, in Adam, all of humanity fell. Right. So we inherit. We inherit. Adam's sin. We inherit Adam's sin. But Christ, as he comes as a second Adam, who perfectly fulfills the law, is perfectly righteous. Those who are born in him, that's why the, the idea of being born again is so key, because it's, it's, you're part of a new type of humanity mm-hmm. established by the second Adam, not the first one. You inherit his righteousness. So you, rather than inheriting the sinful nature of the first Adam, which defines who you are, you inherit the the perfect righteousness of Christ, even though in this in this life, prior to glorification, even in the Christian life, we still do wrestle with sin, the realities of that, and the fallenness of this world. In in an eternal sense, we have inherited the righteousness of Christ Himself. Right, that's imputation. That whole two Adams thing was solid. Thanks, man. You should copyright that before <laughs> someone else jumps on it. <laughs> Maybe it's already out there. It might be. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and so I, I think the, the important thing in that imputation that, that we need to understand, it, it sort of lays out the three stages of soteriology. Mm-hmm. So fun opportunity to learn some, uh, theological lingo. Soteriology is the study of salvation, how a person becomes saved. What is the process according to the Bible? Uh, justification is a portion of that. Mm-hmm. Right. When a person is born again, they are instantly covered with the righteousness of Christ so that they are they are paid for, yet not perfect. Yeah. And that ticket of justification has not been cashed. Right. We still struggle with sin. We will still pay natural penalty for our sin. On this earth, um, but the promise is good, and the promise is in hand at right. justification. Then there's sanctification, which is the process of the Holy Spirit working with us and in us 
to will and to do the will of God, to continually turn away from sin, mm-hmm. die to ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow him. That process of growing into Christ's likeness. Um, and then glorification is that moment when we take our last breath and the ticket we received with that is justification is cashed and we are in the full, perfect presence with God. Mm. Justification, <laughs> sanctification, glorification. I heard, I heard a pastor uh, kind of quip this once, and I thought it was really, really meaningful. Um, justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Uh, sanctification is the progressive freeing f- from the power of sin over our lives. Mm-hmm. And in glorification, we are freed from the pr- very presence of sin itself. Yep. And I thought that stuff. three P's good. Yeah, that's how you preaching. know. That's how you know that it's <laughs> part of the part of the Trinity. Right? <laughs> yeah. On my on my one of the settings, one of the channels on my guitar pedal board. Okay. The really dirty channel, justification, because it was a messy process. Okay. So the screaming, loud guitar distortion thing. Nice. The clean sound, sanctification, Ooh. and then that really swimmy, ambient, while the pastor's praying kind of sound, glorification. I love it. I love it. That's great. All right. So um, as we chat about this, right, like so we, we've talked about how Christ fulfilled the law and that righteousness was imputed to us, but another aspect of this answer here is that he was also because he was human was able to suffer the punishment for human sin had he not been human the price would not have been paid yeah yeah because that was the debt yeah the the wages of sin is death paid for by blood had he not taken blood he would have none to give Mm -hmm. it was necessary yeah yeah no, I think that's it. And, and we I think we need to make sure that we we understand the humanity of Christ in regards to this because like he experienced physical and emotional pain. Right? Like these were these are things that like as as a human being, like they were as real for him as they would be for you or I. That's why he sweat. Yeah. And that's why he pleaded and yeah. and in one instance, is willing, but also eager to avoid right the physical pain that was coming to him. Yeah, and I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that, Tim, because actually I think there's something we we need to touch on in regards to his humanity. Because we're talking about how you know he has a human body, right? He was born, he grew up, he got tired, he got hungry, he got thirsty, um, he died, right? But after the resurrection, still had a human body. He had human emotions, right? He weeps. Mm-hmm. Right, he marvels. Um, mm-hmm. He also had a human will, right, alongside his divine will. So, in the sense, Jesus has a a divine will that is like is one and the same with the will of the Father. Like no distinction at all. It's the same thing. But he also has a human will, which, I mean, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane is struggling, right, and yet still. It, it still ends up in sync with and submissive to the divine will of God. And to some degree, we have that similar thing. Right. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter uh, 7 and 8, 
where he gets into the whole that which I do or that which I that which I hate I do mm. and that which I long to do I don't mm-hmm. oh wretched man that I am if ever if ever there was a passage to make you go hmm that one gets me every time yeah that's just me the difference being my will to serve God that is not in cooperation with my flesh that wants to serve me uh, is also broken. Right. Whereas his was divine. Yeah. Yeah. Incomplete. Whereas his is complete. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really good. So, okay, so perfectly obey the law, suffers the punishment of our s- sin as a substitute, right? As a proper substitute. Substitutionary. Right? It has to be something of the same kind for right. for it to work. Um, right. And also that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. Right? And I, I like that that's included in, in the answer. Um, I mean, Hebrews gets into that, this whole idea of him being able to sympathize with our weakness, understanding. That he would be tempted in every way mm-hmm. as we are. Yep. Yet. Yeah. Without sin. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, again, this is... I think sometimes let's again apply, you know, a number of weeks ago, how we kind of wanted to encourage people to kind of broaden their concept of what constituted sin, right? Um, I mean, Jesus was tempted. He was genuinely tempted, but without sin, right? And 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 we understand that sin, sin is a broad, a broad category, right? It's not just breaking one of the big 10. It, there, there are a multitude of ways that we can, we can sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I think it's important to remember there was a quote here cause, uh, from John Calvin actually it says, Jesus has put on our feelings along with our flesh, um, which I thought was really, um, impactful for me. Because right. I know that a lot of times <laughs> the way that I feel um, is just so central to who I am. Maybe more than it should be at times. Mm-hmm. Um, my feelings can kind of dominate um, my thinking. And it's interesting to know that Jesus felt things as a human being feels things. Right. Right. Um, sympathizing with our weaknesses, our propensities to be hurt, um, to be upset, um, and yet still without sin, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that, that ability to sympathize is what makes him the great mediator, mm. right? Last week I used the analogy of the translator, someone who was able to speak both languages. Yeah, it was good. To stand in the gap. Um, this is his... This is the value exposed right here when he's able to sympathize with us, right? I, I think a lot of times when we struggle with sin, when we when we look at Paul's statement that I butchered earlier, the oh wretched man that I am, wanting to I I, I want for these things, right? 
I, I, I find myself waking up in the middle of the night sometimes in the most holy moments of prayer, mm. right? I wake up and, and just in the middle of the night, and, I, and once I come to full consciousness, I realize, you know, like I'm, I'm confessing sin, I'm wrestling with things. God, this mm. work this in my heart. Mm. I wake up in the morning and I'm all over the place again, right? right? And, and I feel like I'm in that cycle. And I, I think I'm probably not alone in that. I hope not. No. Uh, well, I actually, I maybe I would wish that I would be, and other people are just good. <laughs> um, it, but I, I, in that, what can cause this to happen is, is it, it can cause us to, to say, God must be as disappointed in me as I am. Mm. Right? But, but that he would sympathize with us means he's not sitting there saying, what's your problem? He's sitting there saying, I know what your problem is. I've experienced that struggle. Yeah, I, I, I conquered, but I know, I know the struggle. Um, and I think for that, we place an expectation on ourselves that God doesn't even have on us, right? Like, my kids are learning how to read. I've used, <laughs> I've told that said that too many times before long they're going to be like dad we've been reading for years <laughs> um, my kids are learning how to read there's they're reading their own books they're writing their own books they love writing stories that's awesome um yet when when we do tolkien i read it to them because i don't expect them to read tolkien sure not yet and that they can't i'm not mad at them mm. i'm not like hey we've been going over reading for a couple years now get your act together right Right. I'm like, no, this is this is a process. And I know that because I've gone through the process and I understand that it takes time. Right. right? And so as a loving father looking down, I don't have the same expectation that they have. But there are times when Lindsay is doing schoolwork with them and I come home at the end of the day and I hear that that they're just like, you know what? It was just too much. Couldn't do it. Got emotional about it. It was more than I wanted to do, and I, I just couldn't do it. Mm. Why? Because they feel the weight of this hard thing more than the teacher does, right? The teacher understands it's a process. It's going to take some time. Right. Um, but we do that, right, where we're just like, I sinned. I can't believe it. Mm. What's my problem? Or or I did it again. Right. Um, and, and at times, I mean, this isn't this isn't just to justify and say, you do you, right. go do your thing, and, and God doesn't really care. But it's important to understand what it means for someone to care, yet to sympathize. And I, I think teaching children is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. Probably why he would call us his father and us, call himself our father and us his children. Right. Um, because that's, that's a lived out process that we can understand. Um, and so that that he would sympathize with us is is not something that we should read over quickly yeah. because it could be the difference between a Christian living in a battle with the flesh yet in victory and mm -hmm. freedom in their heart versus living a crushed and defeated life, not doing things for the kingdom, and not celebrating their God because they're curled up in the corner in a fetal position, not able to get over the fact that 
they're still going to make mistakes along the way. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's really meaningful. Hmm. Yeah. Um, in the, in the commentary section, um, Tabidi and Yabwile. I think I got that one. <laughs> Tabidi's awesome. Tabidi's great. Uh, but he he has become he's quickly become one of those guys that you just need the one name Tabidi, and the reason is twofold. It stands out, and it's dangerous to try that second name. <laughs> he I just want to read a little a few sentences of his uh, his commentary on this section, which I th- I found interesting for those of us who might struggle with really grasping the humanness of Christ. He says that we human people are so fallen. And we've been so fallen for so long that we actually think that we are the measure of what it means to be human. It's mm-hmm. striking. We say <laughs> things like, to err is human. And we unwittingly then begin to define humanity in terms of that fallenness, in terms of its brokenness, in terms of its incompleteness. But if you define humanity like that, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus who takes upon himself our humanity yet, as the Bible tells us, is without sin? Who does not err. What we see in Jesus is true humanity. What we see in his incarnation, his earthly life and ministry, is what humanity was meant to be, what Adam was created to be, but ruined in his sin and in his fall. I said the BD was awesome. What a wasted sentence. <laughs> if I would have just shut up, everyone would have known that anyway. <laughs> this because was just, re- this really. St- just jumped out at me man that's great yeah i thought that was really interesting that's the kind of thing you highlight and or print out and then stick it on the bulletin board for a while yeah yeah that's good stuff well tim i'm good on this i do want to say really quickly sure we we anticipated when we switched from a bible reading process into theological discussion that there would be people that would fall off Sure. That's something we talked about. I've been really encouraged lately by people saying, hey, listening to the podcast and keeping up with it. Um, it's been great. Yeah. Uh, even more so encouraged talking with uh, some members. Um, I won't say the name. The Johnsons aren't the kind of people who want to have their name <laughs> mentioned. Uh, they're reading through the Bible chronologically again. And saying it, it was so good last time, and this time feeling like just picking it up again where we left off. I mean, they're not listening to the podcast all over again. They're right. listening to this one and not the other one. Sure. Uh, but man, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really encouraging. Mm-hmm. So, so all that to say, thanks for being here. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah. Which leads us to thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and is produced by Alex Walker. Don't burn up out there. (laughs) I ruined it. (laughs) Bye. Again. (laughs)